Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast is brought to you by Brewman version 7, the brand new web-based version of the UK's number one brewery management software used by over 250 breweries. Brewman version 7 has been completely rebuilt to combine the features and functions that have been developed alongside their brewery customers for 20 years with new modern interfaces and intuitive controls that can be accessed through your browser on any device. To find out more, visit the website at premiersystems.com. That's premiersystems.com. I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, Brewsters and Hopsters, and welcome to another session of the Hop Forward podcast. I was once doing a brewery tour for a random group of people who had booked tickets via our online web shop, looking for something to do on a warm Saturday afternoon. As a bit of a natural performer, I was totally in my element, walking people around the rustic red brick Victorian building that housed the Sheffield Brewery Company, where I was head brewer and just about everything else for a season of my life. If you've ever had the privilege of visiting the brewery, and I highly recommend that you do, it's built on a traditional tower system with the hot liquor tank up in the gods, the mash tun on the mezzanine floor, the copper on above ground level where the bar is, and fermenters in the cellar. I'd usually start at the top and work my way down, taking people through the process of mashing in and allowing them to chew some grain, getting participants to rub and sniff hop varieties, explain gravity readings, IBUs, how the heat exchange works, before working our way downstairs to talk about the heart and soul behind any brewery, fermentation. Because the brewery's housed in an old building and our remote chillers were noisy to say the least, I was accustomed to the various sounds one might hear on a daily basis working in an environment like that. As someone who suffers with tinnitus, you learn to tune out to these noises. While talking about yeast, probably my favourite subject, a woman interrupted me mid-flow and said, Shh, can you hear that? I crane my head. Hear what? That trickling sound. What trickling sound? What? Are you fucking deaf or something? She expletted before I politely informed her that I suffer from a disease called otosclerosis, a progressive hearing loss, whilst pointing to my right ear, which has a hearing aid in it. She cooped her mouth with her hands, turned ghostly white and started mumbling a horrified apology, which I couldn't quite hear. As I said, I'm definitely one of you. Needless to say, she and her partner brought a lot of drinks that afternoon from the bar after the tour had ended and possibly some merch too. I wonder why. As someone that struggles with hearing, I often find tap rooms a very difficult environment. I love attending them with every fibre of my being. But it does get a bit tiresome repeating the words pardon, sorry, or even worse, mishearing other people over loud reggae, acid jazz, or beat-driven music. 
Unless you've experienced some kind of physical or emotional disability, it's hard to comprehend the challenges one might find in any given situation or environment and take for granted something as simple as ordering a pint in a tap room or a bar. Inclusivity in the world of beer is a phrase that often gets banded around a lot, especially in these woke times. But how inclusive are breweries, their tap rooms and bars really? What about the blind or in my case, deaf people? How about people who are physically disabled? Can they work in a brewery or experience the joy of adding hops to a rolling boil? Or what about the drinking experience? We're all familiar with people who are pregnant, not drinking beer quite wisely for nine months during their pregnancy. But what about those who might have to be up early the following day and they don't quite want alcohol-free beers because they're not scratching the itch, but they don't want to have a session or feel pressured to drinking several regular strength beers by which I mean 4 to 5%. Are there any small beers out there or bars that stock them readily? It's easy to find big juicy IPAs adorning bars, but what about beers that are like 3.2%? This is the thinking and dream behind Matt Dixon's brewery, Sheep and Wolf's Clothing, to create and change the game of brewing and reclaim its status as the original social network. Here to bring beer to everyone, connecting people and building inclusive communities. No public relations bullshit, actual transparency, actual accountability. Naturally, when I not only saw these beers on social media, but received a package from the brewery, I was very intrigued by the backstory as much as the stunning artwork on the cans. As a former chemical engineer and rugby player turned entrepreneur, Matty attended the London School of Business before taking part in AB InBev's graduate scheme, after which he and his scientific friend John Chadwick turned their hand to creating beers between 0.5 and 5% using a variety of innovative methods and unused yeasts to bring massive flavours to little beers. Not only is Matty engaging, funny, and evidently has the true entrepreneurial spirit, he openly talks about his ongoing battle with depression, something which saw him take to the stage of London's TEDx conference in 2019 to share his personal experiences of living with depression and why he believes talking about it is crucial to the management of the state. Matty believes that the condition is misunderstood and as such is not treated as well as it could be within society something that overflows into his business, his leadership, and how he operates with his team. I was intrigued by Matty as a character and took to him quite quickly, a genuine guy trying to make it in the world of beer and make a real life difference. Even more so, I was very interested in discovering these beers for myself. So I'm gonna crack open uh, this can that Matty from Sheeping Wolf's Clothing sent me of Lager Day Saints, which is the low ABV lager. I love the design on this, by the way. And it really reminds me of the Book of Mormon, the musical that is, not the actual book. So, right. So without further ado, first beer tasting of the new season. So I've heard good things about this and I assure you I've not tasted this. Yeah, so you are genuinely getting like a live tasting of this very, very quite lively beer. Um, so just because, you know, perfect descriptions for podcasts, everyone likes a good description of beer, don't they? Pouring, it's very, 
very pale. I wouldn't even say like looking at gold. It's um, golder than gold. It's quite lively. Right, I'm just going to, I'll let the rest settle, but I'll, I'll taste this. So, right, as far as aroma is concerned, if I was to smell this, I, like I, I wouldn't be able to tell from the aroma that it's a low ABV beer. You're getting all that Hella's honey sweetness that you get from the malt right on the nose. It smells fantastic. So I've got high expectations now for how it tastes. So let's, let's give it a go. I think you'd be hard pressed to tell if you didn't know that that's not a Hella's lager. I mean, it's the, the body's a lot thinner than a Hella's lager. I think that's probably what gives it away. There's a slight, I don't call it wordy flavour because it's it's not that kind of non-alcoholic flavour where the alcohol's been removed after. It's um there's a slight flavour, but I can't quite put my finger on it. It's not a bad flavour, by the way, just putting that out there, that I associate with low ABV beers. But it dissipates really quick. And what you're left with, more than not is the taste of a Hellas Lager. I mean, to be honest with you, I think that is possibly, and I'm not just saying this, I think this is possibly one of the best low EBV beers I've had so far. I mean, it, it it's, the, that aroma is, is, is spot on. I'd be hard pressed to tell that's not a low to no alcohol. I'd, I'd probably guess it was like a super sessionable lager, maybe like a three point something percent. Like I know, um, who was it? It was Camden Hells or someone did like, what's it called? Weeknight or something. Um, which is like a 3.2% lager or something like that. But yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. So make sure you check it out. So if you're interested in getting hold of some sheep in wolves clothing beers for yourself, and I highly recommend you do, check them out at siwcbrewery.com. That's siwcbrewery.com to pick some up from their web shop. I promise you, if nothing else, the website alone will please you. It's a fantastic piece of web development. But the beers are also top-notch, and hopefully you know me. I don't just say that. They are genuinely really good. Lager Day Saints was exceptional. So check them out. That's siwcbrewery.com. If you're a fan of Hot Forward, Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you tune in. Leave us a review because that helps other brewing and beer professionals find us. Follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. And check out our website, hotforward.beer, for more ways to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Finally, make sure you visit our sponsors this week. Today's episode of the Hot Forward Podcast is brought to you by Brewman version 7 the brand new web-based version of the UK's number one brewery management software used by over 250 breweries. Brewman version 7 has been completely rebuilt to combine the features and functions that have been developed alongside their brewery customers for 20 years with new modern interfaces and intuitive controls that can be accessed through your browser on any device. To find out more, visit the website at premiersystems.com. That's premiersystems.com. Today's 
Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Matt Dixon, founder of Sheep in Wolf's Clothing. Hello. Hello. How are you, how are you doing? Yeah, doing all right, thank you. Um, yeah, thanks very much for having me. Pretty excited, pretty nervous, but uh, yeah, doing well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I've, I've noticed you've, you're all branded up. I am. T-shirt, hats, socks. You've got branded well, socks. I have to describe it to, the, to, the, to, to listeners as obviously the best merchandise in the world that everyone wants to buy. Um, yeah. I haven't done a range of socks yet, but I, I should probably be on the cards at some point. Yeah, there you go. You know, you know you've made it when you can, like, uh, Thornbridge, where you can sell Jaipur socks. It's like, you, you know that you've made it. Yeah, I think on, if we get there, we'll have to try and get get in touch with Stance and see if we can be cool enough to get on a pair of Stance socks. That'd yeah, be a nice. dream for me. It's a bit of a sneakerhead, I think, to try and get that done. But Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah last uh, last Christmas I got sent, um, like, loads of breweries were sending out um, beers and stuff to beer writers like myself. And um, the, But the best present I got was a pair of socks from um, Roosters in Harrogate and honestly I was I was made up with it it was just like they had the, the most vibrant colours you can imagine with these hops on and like they're my favourite pair of socks <laughs> that's actually pretty amazing I uh, that's, uh, yeah I like that that's a pretty good way of doing it especially around Christmas I think Very I know cool. totally so uh, yeah I mean I can't remember half the beers I got sent but I've still got these socks you remember the socks so, though right? yeah so <laughs> cool well th- thanks for joining me on the show like I say um, having read the bio on your website um you've got quite a varied background uh, before getting into beer so can can you share with our listeners a bit about who you are your business experience and how you wound up in the beer industry yeah for sure um so i'm maddie hello everyone um yeah i grew up in northeast scotland um i won't give you the full sea view review otherwise everyone will fall asleep but uh <laughs> yeah northeast scotland did school up there I went to university the first time around in Sheffield. Um, spent five years down there. Had a gap year trying to play professional rugby. Found out I wasn't very good. So that, that was a pretty short-lived career. Um, and then I moved here trying to use my first degree in engineering. So I got a job to try and use that. And all the offers I got, despite looking kind of anywhere and everywhere, were all back home. So I moved back to the northeast of Scotland to work in oil and gas. Um, so yeah, I spent sort of about 10 years up there. Um, in oil and gas, I went back and played for Aberdeen in the Scottish Prem for a while. Nice. Um, retired from that, uh, realised I probably wasn't living a life when I actually wanted to live for the next few while. So spent a bit of time to work out what to do and realised I didn't really have a clue. Uh, so I didn't, you know, have a big vision of like, I'm going to go be a doctor or I'm going to be an artist or this is exactly what I want to be. I'm going to be a teacher. So I was trying to look at a way of maybe how I could leverage what I'd done without sort of having to start again from scratch. Um, so I ended up stumbling across the idea of doing an MBA. Uh, I was pretty lucky, got into London Business School, so I went off to there um, in my obviously now early 30s. Uh, we'll pretend I was 21 again. Um, went through the, uh, the joy of that. And yeah, um, when I was there, I was really lucky to get picked up by AB InBev. Um, so as most craft brewers might be, Turning off now. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. But um, I picked up AB and Bev and um, into their kind of summer MBA internship. Um, so that was a great experience. And so that was my first sort of, I guess, dive into working in the beer world, as it were. Before that, it was always on the other side of the pub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was the first sort of side of working the professional side of the beer industry outside of either being a, a bartender or a, a bar drinker. Um, did that. And then... Um, 
basically I was drunk in a pub one night with my mate um, at the NBA and we very much enjoyed getting drinks at the bar and chatting and obviously solving all of the world's problems. Um, remembering the solution thing is the hard part. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were just talking about how like, we love doing this, but we were very aware that reality was about to hit again and it was going to be back to the real world and getting up and, you know, doing stuff. And um, we were kind of... Uh, realizing that, you know, going out on a midweek night and having several beers doesn't really work when you're trying to be productive at work the next mm. day and, you know, sure what you can do. So we just all got started and that's where it all began was a discussion drunk in the NBA pub about low and no beer not being super awesome at the time. Um, with that, I, I did a module there, which was awesome, um, with a brilliant lecturer there, which was great. And, um, yeah, it was all about basically creating your business plan. So I pitched my business proposal to the class, got some folk to sign up and say, yeah, cool, we'd be interested in helping. And we wrote and pitched a business plan from Nyberholic Brewery to some angel investors. At this point, I genuinely never really considered starting a company. Um, quite a lot of work. And I wasn't sure I'd be very good at it, to be honest. Um, but feedback was quite good. So that was quite nice. So I went off and joined the real world. I work in IT now. That's my day job. Um, but they kind of planted the seed at that point with the, you know, Rupert Marsden was great as a lecturer, gave a lot of support and guidance. Um, and then, you know, the angel investors giving us some feedback of like, you know, obviously it's too early for investment, but genuinely we like what you're talking about. We're like, oh, okay. But yeah, that's where it started. And I moved into real world again, but the seed was there. So I reached out to someone I knew through AB InBev and was like, hey, you know, I know you know do a bit of homebrewing and you're excellent at finance. I have a business plan and kind of a brand idea. Shall we go from there? Um, and it turned out him and his mate, who is a brewer himself, so professionally a brewer, um, had been talking about doing this for a while. So we joined up forces, got that ball rolling. Um, and I'd say sort of maybe about a year later, um, unfortunately, in the throes of COVID, mm. everything happening, it, it kind of made the three of us splinter. So at the end of August 2020, I was left with a brand and not much else, to be honest. Um, so I went and got uh, very drunk, which I'm not condoning. There are much better ways of working through difficult times. Um, and in about sort of 36 hours, I pivoted, rung up all my mates, so I knew I had some expertise in sort of the business world for help. Um, and I knew that a mate of mine from school who... You know, we have a mutual best mate, so I knew he was doing well, but I haven't spoken to him probably in a long time. Um, he was now the leukemia doctor, finishing off his PhD. Um, I guess technically I might be a second PhD for a doctor. Um, but yeah, doing a PhD, finishing off. Um, I've been into homebrewing for a while. So I rang him, pitched him on the idea of, you know, you've just about to finish your PhD. What you don't want to do is go hang out with your pregnant wife and your kid. What you'd much rather do is experiment with yeast so that we can brew some great low no alcohol beers. Um, somehow I managed to convince him that was a great idea. Um, it is a great idea. You know, best idea ever, right? So having, you know, worked off his, his butt to finish his PhD, <laughs> I then stole him. Um, and his wonderful wife very kindly let me have him until uh, baby Zach came along. So little Zach legends now around. Um, so yeah, we just got after it and uh, basically had a plan of let's just see how far we can get. Um, so we did. We both had help from um, so someone on our side who so we went by ourselves. Um, so yeah, I brewed my first beer last September. Um, and in fact, my one of my first beer recipes 
from scratch with Lumberjill, which is now for sale, which is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, we got after that, did that, um, realized it was going okay. Obviously, baby Zach coming along, we needed help. So we hired two new brewers um, in uh, Adam and Daisy to come on board. They're both Harriet Watt, one's a graduate and one is finishing. Um, and they came on to help with kind of pushing the, the recipes down the road. And then from there, that's really where we got to. Um, we, we decided we were happy with some of them. Uh, we reached out to every brewer known to man <laughs> to see hmm. if we could get slots and pretty much just took any slot we could. Um, so I think, you know, the, the sensible way of launching is maybe get two beers out, you know, start slow, but conscious about contract brewing slots being difficult to get, went the other way and, and took, I think, five uh, for launch um, with about three more upcoming. So we should have you know, eight beers available pretty soon, if not nine by the end of September, hopefully. Wow. And are they all with different breweries then producing different beers? Yeah, we've worked with, I think it's five um, across the range so far. Um, very much depended on kind of uh, ABV level, to be honest with you, um, what that brewery's kind of history of brewing styles is. Yep. Um, so they've been brilliant. Um, so happy, happy to share. Um, we did Lager Day at Glen Affric. We did... Easy Rinder, uh, Allendale. We did Short Stack, Shetland Pony, and Lumberjill at 71 Brewing in Dundee. And um, we did a collab with Six Degrees North for uh, Black Lager and a barreled uh, whiskey Black Lager. The canned version of that is going to come out in September. Um, so pretty excited for that one. We did our 0.5 IPA called Small Kingdom, which should be out this week. We did a Quartz Brew. Um, I think that's it, man. In top of my head. Yeah. So yeah. that's what we've been working with so far. So yeah, but they've all been fantastic for us. Um, you know, they've helped us get where we are. And um pretty excited the beers are. We always call them our sort of version one commercial beers. We're really happy with them. We wouldn't sell them if we weren't, but at the same time, we we all we already have kind of plans to keep evolving them as we go on and keep trying to make them uh improve if we can. Yeah, totally. I've got a whole bunch of questions to ask off the back of that, um, but I have to start with this one. So uh, I'm from Sheffield and live in Sheffield. So which university did you go to? I went to the uni, the Red Brick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So, yeah. Um, yeah so you, did you have a favourite pub while you were in Sheffield? Or Yeah. So I was up near Broom Hill, was it? So we had, um, I mean, we actually, there was the one, so my memory is terrible. I blame rugby. Um, <laughs> we had, was it the York, the Broom Hill Tavern? They were common stop yeah. points. I love the York. There was the place, there was the one the Arctic Monkeys bass player bought right in the corner of the university. That's a great pub on mm. the other side of the uh, the uni. Um, I was down on near Macklin Street. Um, yeah. The Monkeys might know about. The Red Light District used to be there. Um, it got moved actually whilst I was at uni. They pedestrianised it. So it looked yeah. <laughs> quite funny. Um, but uh, yeah, there's another pub down there we used to go to um, between lectures sometimes. Um, Obviously, just for a coke. Um, yeah, obviously. Yeah, and then you know, then you head into the, the uni. But I mean, Sheffield was great for things like uh, what was it, liquid and lead mill. Um, yep. Wow, it's going back a bit now. Try to see what my memory can do. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, a long time ago now. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, mo- mo- moving back onto whatever else probably wants to hear. I could talk about Sheffield all day, but I am from Sheffield, so there you go. <laughs> um, but I mean, talk about the vision behind the brewery and, and the emphasis and focus on low ABV beers. I know obviously you do some of that going up to like about 5%-ish. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, what, why why the focus on the lower end? Of- 
of the, I think that range. Two, two or threefold. Let's see how far I get. We'll start with twofold. I might add a third one in. But um, the uh, twofold one is, I guess, during the NBA, I was looking at where opportunities could come for new brewers. So doing the homework and having the opportunity to, honest, to do the homework, we we knew the non-alcoholic section would grow. Um, from memory, and this could be wrong, so please don't quote this. Anyone listening is a hard fact, but I think it's basically predicted that most beer-consuming um, countries will end up with kind of a 15 to 20% consumption of non-alcoholic-ish. Um, I think Spain and Japan, when I did my research, were the biggest consumers, and that was like 14%, but that's also based on limited options, you know? So if you assume that they could grow slightly more, you end up cannibalizing a beer market to be about a fifth non-alcoholic options. Um, mm. So that was kind of why the no alcohol came up as a, a route. It's a route to entry. It's to say, hey, we exist, what's up? Um, and then with the co-founders, I kind of, um, we pivoted to try and hit sort of more than just low alcohol. Um, and part of that was kind of based on the values. So we had the value of inclusivity. And I keep telling people this is that I put the three values in the can. We've got them on the website. And anyone I've ever spoken to about joining up with us, they're not there as a PR stunt. We really mean them. And if you don't want to mean them, live and breathe them, that's cool. But, I mean, up to you. I'm not judging. I mean, I might when I'm drunk. But I'm not <laughs> judging. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's something we mean. So in the premise that, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, alcohol-free beer is inclusive because everyone can have it. I'm like, yeah, but not everyone wants it. Um, you know, so I try and explain the brand as if we went to a pub, um, let's say you and I go and someone else goes with us, let's say that other person is pregnant, so they can't drink. So they could have an alcohol-free option. Um, and then maybe the next day you are coaching kids at Little League for nine hours at a tournament and you're like, I need a few beers tonight to sum myself up, but I don't need the hangover tomorrow because that's going to make it agonizing. Mm. I'm there being a, a lout and I'm like, well, I don't need to do anything tomorrow, so I'm going to enjoy my proper beer. The idea was that with the range, you know, all three people could enjoy all our beers, you know, for the night within certain boundaries that they have. Yep. And not limited by what we have. Um, and that was kind of the premise behind it was I have visions of kind of having pubs where anyone and everyone can come with their friends and have a great time. And we get rid of that stigma behind. So all the ABVs and our cans are on the back on purpose. Um, on one hand, we've been told, well, that makes it awkward to find it. And I'm like, it does. But, you know, as long as you can read, you're all right. Um, without being funny, Braille is in the back of my mind. We do need to work out a solution for that at some point. Um, but, um, you know, it's there, but the idea is to put the beer first, the brand first. So if you're in a park, it's like, oh, what you have now? I'm having a lager. Pretty cool, quite good. Or I'm having a Hefeweizen, this is great. No one needs to know it's alcohol-free. Why is that going to be a thing? Um, people make it a thing, and I'm kind of trying to move beyond that and be like, mm. no, let's make beers. And you get to pick whatever beer you feel like at the time for whatever reason you have. Um, and that was kind of where that came from. So it was kind of a bit of market opportunity a bit of trying to get in with the values. And I guess if I was doing a third thing, the other one is, you know, like I said, my, my first beer brewing experience was September last year. You know, my other person I worked with, only going for a while now, he's uh, extremely, uh, you know, academic and, and loves a, a study, which, you know, for a guy with a couple PhDs and a master's and a leukemia doctor is, well, A, fantastic for us, because he works in NHS, but also, you know, um, makes sense. But 
Yeah, we haven't got years and years of experience. So who are we to come in and start trying to brew Imperial Stouts and say, hey, everyone, drink our Imperial Stout. Yeah. And there are people out there been doing this for however long mm. and brew incredible beers. You know, how, how are we going to get noticed? Um, so I'd rather work with those people. Um, but that can be quite hard if you're potentially going to cannibalize their market, right? So this way we kind of sit below them. We're like, hey, look, we think we're making great beers. Maybe we could do something together. Um, and that was kind of the other side of it as a kind of um, another sort of route, which hopefully would enable us to, I don't know, get involved and say hi. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a unique proposition for sure. And um, I mean, the, the branding is exceptional. Um, I, just before we hit record and I was doing a bit of research, um, I looked on your web shop and as a, as a graphic designer and web designer myself, I um, the, the little sliders and the little buttons for, you know, for filtering products, just the way it was designed made me so happy. <laughs> I was so envious. I was like, man, whoever, whoever built your website, has got some serious, serious coding skills. No, we, um, thank you. Uh, we've, we've been very lucky. We've got a great uh, designer we primarily work with called Lucas. If you buy a beer, he's on the back. Um, we had, for the actual brand, we had a couple of people, John and Ollie, who helped us actually with the original brand. So that's like, I'm going to want to point my hat and no one can see that. <laughs> go um, to the website if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, go to the website, check out the logo, buy some beer. No, and the, uh, the main brewery logo was designed by kind of those folks um, through a design house. I, I knew that was great. And um, yeah, that, that, that really helped, I think, try and iron out some of those elements, which I think I definitely have missed if I kind of tried to myself. And then, yeah, we've got... Um, I've got one of the team and we've got a freelance developer helping us and they've been both been incredible against website where it is today. Uh, we've still got a lot of things to fix. So apologies if you find something you don't like. It's probably on our ever-growing list. Um, but if not, do drop us a note, say hi, let us know what it is and we'll try and add it in if it's not. Um, but yeah, no, really happy with it. And I think it's been quite exciting seeing things come from discussions or my imagination and become a beer label and a beer. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I said before, I, in some ways, Lager Day Saints is my favourite. And that's not necessarily because my favourite beer or my favourite label. It's because that one was the first one we named. We had that name before I had a brewery business plan. We had that way back at uni. We were made chatting about it. Uh, we came up with it. And now it's it's real. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a nice full circle. Yeah. I mean, it's so important to get all, all that right, uh, the branding, particularly these days, because there, like I said, there's so many breweries out there producing so much beer. And um, people are so good at it now, you know, um, regardless of scale, whether, you know, you're a very, very small brewery or a very big brewery, you know, they're, they're just exceptional beers. So you've got to do, you've got to go the extra mile to stand out somehow. Um, but I, I genuinely believe that's both through branding and the way you position yourself through, you know, your vision and your values and what you're all about and how you communicate that. Um, because I, I do really, really think people want more than just a beer these days, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's really, I definitely hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll put yeah. money, all my money really into it, uh, isn't it? But um, no, I think you're right. And like, I think there's some breweries out there doing some amazing things, you know? There's some great branding, there's some great beers. And um, I guess the one thing we were trying to do, which hopefully differentiates us a bit, is become that little bridge between your specialist low, well, not, well, low, low and no alcohol brewers, you know, but by low, I mean really low. Um, yep. I always use low as a very loose term. For us, just in case one, I mean 2.8% when I yep. say low, that's what we have. I think technically I, that should be 1.2 or something, but um, 
but folks who brew sort of one percent and below, you know, only, and then you have folks that brew, you know, I guess more traditional craft beer, that would be five up, you know, and they call their sessions their four and a halfs. So what we were trying to do is just sit ourselves in between, um, and then obviously to get noticed, you've got to try and get some sort of label that says "pick me up." Um, on the shelf. So hopefully we've done that. Um, feedback so far has been pretty nice, um, but it's only week three, I think, of sales. So right. it's very early days. Yeah. So just coming on to the brewing side of it then, like how have you found the research and development process and what are some of the key lessons you've learned from brewing, um, you know, the, particularly the, the lower alcohol or the the practically no you can't call it no can you officially the 0.5 no, not, not <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so low, low to no alcohol beers because i remember talking to a friend of mine called fraser who's a coffee roaster who's and it was also a home brewer and he was mm. saying in, in the world of coffee like it's you know you don't talk to your fellow roaster it's all everything's a closely guarded secret whereas in the world of brewing everyone shares everything about everything apart from when it comes to low alcohol beers where all of a sudden it's a very closely guarded secret um so I, I was just interested how you found that development process and whether you've had to kind of go it alone to figure that stuff out for yourself because other breweries have been like no it's, it's mine um what i'd say is we've had a lot of breweries who've been very approachable and super supportive um and given us good advice and good routes to go down but no one's giving away the answer if that makes sense yeah um i guess uh pretty bad now as you would be they told you where to look in the library <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah okay yourself um they're not going to tell you which paragraph which sentence to find in which book yeah. um and i respect that i honestly we've we've found so much love and welcoming from so many brewers it's been amazing um and especially low and no ones and that's been great. And, um, you know, we've been in contact with big ones, small ones, and they've all been super helpful in different ways. But when it comes to the actual how they do it, no one really lets on. Um, I mean, I guess I don't really mind sharing, to be honest. We use special yeast. That's our thing. Um, for Lager Day Saints, we brew a relatively traditional lager recipe. The malt's a little bit different from traditional just because at that ABV, you don't get to use very much. So if you just use this pure, pure, like, you know, Munich Hell's recipe, it would get pretty weak. Um, yeah. And then we use a special yeast in it. Um, we think we're the first people to put that yeast in beer. Um, and I'm happy to tell you it comes from Peruvian jungle. Um, nice. And I tell you what it is, to be honest with you, but I can't remember the name. Uh, <laughs> Convenient. Yeah, does our yeast work. Probably why I'm safe being on this show. There's only so much I can share before I forget what it is. Um, but yeah, you know, we brewed ABV. We've had a our our premise was, or our hypothesis was, we can't afford kit to ship alcohol out, which we suspect might be the future. Um, but we believe it can still be done. Um, but people are doing it, especially now. Um, I think the growth in the market actually since we started is insane mm. uh, and the and the improvement for that matter. And then beyond that, so we have that and then um, we wanted our beers to be beers. So it's not, we're trying to brew beers where you put in the um, the, 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 the the mash and the fermentation and, and, and you let your beer be beer. Leave it to it. Let the yeast eat everything. Go nuts. Um, and that's what's happened in Lager Day Saints. Um, and that's worked out pretty well, we think. It's, 
super refreshing. It's pretty light. Um, you know, I think we managed to do some blind tasting at Brew London and folks that didn't know, I think were pretty blown away. Like, oh, this is a light lager. We're like, well, it is a light lager. But then we do the what ABV do you think? Like, oh, 4%. And we're like, no, it's 0.5. You know, we'd sometimes say three. Um, you know, it, it's not going to make you think it's a heavy 6%. <laughs> yeah. There's no point pretending it is. It's not. But, you know, I would honestly suggest that, I mean, I've had a couple um, on hot days. And honestly, like, there are other drinks you could have that I would suggest would be as refreshing for me or anyone else. But I think it's up there. And it's definitely got, it's quite floral on the nose. And then there's a, a wave of proper Munich Hells in the middle followed by a little bit of a cheeky pear aftertaste. And I know it's kind of, we're trying to be a craft beer. So we've used, you know, pretty basic brewing for non-alcoholic beer with the yeast that we don't even use before. But, you know, we've got user reminder version one. We actually had to recall, recall, recall um, last week. <laughs> so with that one, we did rested fermentation. We thought we'd arrested it and we thought we'd stabilized it. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. So with the heat wave, refermentation came yeah. back. So we've just recalled all of that, which has been pretty painful because um, those beers are pretty good. Um, they sit a lot heavier than I think people realize. Um, so that was quite nice at Brew London. We had, you know, cans of that, which are fine. Like I said, it, it's probably, we recalled it out of safety. It wasn't one like where it's every can, but it was enough where it's just not worth the risk. Yeah, totally. So... Yeah, but we got them in Brew London and the feedback there was pretty good. Um, you know, it's a Mandarin Hefeweizen and it tastes and hits like a Hefeweizen with Mandarin. Um, so for version two, which we're booking in at the moment, um, that one, we're going to go with the same route as Logger Day Saints and we're going to use a special yeast that we will let do its full thing. And basically it won't come out above 0.5%. Um, but otherwise it'll be the same beer again. And then, um, yeah, go from there really. Yep. And that we should be a bit more stable. So, first time. So, how have you found the process of working with commercial breweries to help you scale up these beers from like homebrew size? And, like, I mean, just talk us through the process of, of approaching a brewery because I know there's a lot of people out there. I mean, I've looked into it myself and I, I work with a few clients that are, are going through this process at the moment. Um, you know, it, it's that kind of contract brewing has become more of the thing because it's brewing equipment's expensive and it's if you have a brand it's much easier to get to market but obviously there are different challenges um to, to overcome so just have you found that process of finding the contract brewer and then um getting them to scale up these beers because again for for a brewery um a commercial brewery that is you know they might be used to doing four percent upwards but now they're kind of thrust into this realm of doing 2.0% with this weird yeast <laughs> you're talking about. Just take us through that journey, man. Yeah, I think part of it was the the range of breweries helped us. Um, they've all been great, to be honest with you. Um, and the contract brewing world is quite difficult because ultimately it's your responsibility to give them a recipe that works. Their responsibility is to brew it to recipe. Um, so easy to it went wrong, but it was our recipe and our decisions to brew it in that way. So that's quite a horrible feeling, I think, on both sides, really. Um, but everyone's been great. Um, you know, the, the the breweries we've got the 0.5s brewed with uh, that have come out so far, they've got experience with those. Um, so we basically got in touch and we kept getting in touch to get slots. Um, we never stopped really. Um, and that's how we got those. And then 
you know, anyone knows uh, Seven Brewing, they're fantastic with fruit and with their IPAs. So it was quite a natural decision for us to try and get the other three brewed there with them. Um, and then Quartz were lovely. Um, I don't know they've brewed any that low before, but they were they were just, yeah, just give it a shot, see what happens. Um, no, it was great. So no, honestly, I think in terms of my experience of working with them, it's been good. Um, there's been stress points, don't get me wrong. And I don't think if you spoke to them, they deny that either. Um, but that's just, I think, the nature of the game because what we've done in some situations is quite novel and new, um, you know, and it's quite, if they've never used those certain use before, it's not necessarily a risk to kit if the cleaning good enough. I'm sure someone might comment on that otherwise. But if you clean properly, it isn't really a risk. Um, but the the killer is just the patience. Um, certain yeasts are quite slow. It's not what you expect with your four or five percent. And there's not much for them to eat either. So you're talking about trying to get it to go down, you know, five points of specific gravity. This is not like a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Top 30 or 40 <laughs> where it rockets off. You know, it's not Kavite flying out the top of your fermenter wondering what's going on. <laughs> um, and so like, there's been learning curves there. We've got data now, which helps a lot. So we can kind of justify what's happening. And also we can say it's going to take this long. We know it's going to take this long. Um, but even things like getting the cell count right, getting the pitch rate right, all these things are a massive gamble. Um, Loggerday Saints, um, honestly, Glen Affleck were great and patient with us because it was a bloody nightmare. We were very close to ditching it. And then finally the magic happened. Um, mm. I think that one came out at 0.4 something ABV finally. Um, so, you know, but for um, far too long a period for my heart to take, uh, yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing was happening and we're getting stressed. And, you know, we've done the experiments. We're like, we think it's going to take this long, but that's on the 23 liter batch. What happens when you got to sort of several thousand liters is a very different ball game. Um, yeah. So we've done all the scaling ourselves. We've asked for their expertise and input based on their experience of their kits. Um, and then ultimately you've got to make a decision and you roll the dice and go with it. Um, and we've been pretty lucky to be honest. Um, you know, I think the brew team I have, you know, Adam, Daisy and John who did all the scaling for us, they've been fantastic. Um, we had a bit of luck on our sides, but you know, even with that, there are things in every one of our beers we wish to improve next time around. Yep. Um, and I guess for us, it was a thing of, can we get something that is 90% of where we'd like it to be anyways? And if it is, we're happy to sell it because that should make it a pretty good beer. And then now uh, the next aim is to get it to hundred percent of where we want it to be. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, some of this is little tweaks. Um, other things are a bit bigger, like with easy rondo where it's a full yeast change because that didn't one didn't work so well. <laughs> <laughs> so you say you've got a team of brewers. Are they, are they physically going into the brewery and brewing it with them or are they just there to oversee what's going on i mean how does that work no we sent them in to brew with the brewery team whenever we can we've had a couple where we just couldn't make it work time-wise um so almost all of our team is has a job and does this on the side um we have one member who 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 is part-time with us so whenever we've been able to make it work we've sent someone in to brew Right. Um, well, we certainly sent them in during kind of taste tests and everything else um, to try and be as involved as we can in the process and also help. Um, I think it's good for us to learn, see, and do. Um, so, yeah, we've always, it's not it's not hands off. I mean, it, it's sort of one of those funny ones for people. It's like we are, I say that we're sort of a hybrid between contract brewing and gypsy brewing where we go in as much as we can. Sometimes we can't in it as a contract brew. But whenever we do brew, whether it be contract or whether it be us gypsy brewing because we've gone in, it is 
all our recipe. So yep. if it works, that's us. And if it fails miserably, that's also us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do raise a good point there. And I'm partly asking these questions for, I guess, my own sake as well. Um, because the more that people want to get into the brewing industry that don't have the funds to basically set up a brick and mortar brewery, you know, there's a lot of, there is no textbook answer. There's a lot of fudging it through and figuring it out. Um, you know, especially if you have a job and you've got to work around your job, you have to bring those barriers down where people perceive contract brewing to be, oh, well, it's not your beer, is it? You know, and then um, the, the other extreme, which is, well, you're a gypsy brewer and that's, you know, your job just going in elsewhere. And actually, you know, you, you've got to be creative and innovative in the way that you produce these beers and get into the industry and, and run this kind of business. So, I mean, I don't think there should be a rule book about it. Yeah, um, I think, so I mean, it's a hard one. I had I had a few folks ask me when we were at the show, and I, I, honestly, I'll share. I mean, I'm, I hope I'm sharing here as sort of as openly as I can, really. And um, I think one thing I always said to them is make sure it's your recipe. Make sure you're happy with it. Going in with, oh, we've got this, hmm, you know, can you help us choose hops and stuff? It's not, they won't want to brew it because they need to make sure you're happy when they press go. Um, mm. The other side of it is, is you need to be happy when you sell it. And like I said, you know, we want to tweak all our beers, some maybe slightly more than others uh, due to yeast. But, um, you know, no, some of them, like all of ours have tweaks we want to do, but some of them, they've also got bits which are like, no, this is perfect. This is perfect. This is like the color of short stack is stunning. Seven Brewing nailed it. We sent them samples. The color is amazing. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's things that are perfect. And like, we got that with experimentation. So we have in the team, I think something like 16 mini fermenters, um, maybe more actually. Um, and, you know, we, we've run through experiments. We've had people doing pure yeast experience experiments for sort of four weeks on the go. We've had me scaling recipes up from yeast experiments to batches because I'm the least competent, but I'm semi-able to follow instructions. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been brewing the batches and then I've got canning machines then I can and send them out. And when we're happy, we're like, yeah, cool. That's one to scale, put on the shelf. Um, you know, and that's, that's been the nature of how we've done it is it's just experimentation and experimentation and power of hindsight, I'd say take longer, get to know your beers better, you know, get into it, really learn all the tricks. Um, you know, that's easy to say with hindsight and also to say when I'm sitting here with beer for sale, um, so yeah, take your time. It's cool. But like things move quickly and I, I, I didn't want to wait, but I'm sure no one else does, but I think, you know, it gets for us in a weird way. It was a silver lining lockdown. I mean, but, to put it in perspective, I brewed, I rig on average twice a week for, I don't know, four months um, with iteration after iteration. Um, you know, my colleague, John, I think, I think we bought 50 yeast strains from experiment <laughs> nice. with. Now that's yeast strains that aren't ones you buy online. So, yep. I mean, actually you can buy them online. That's not quite true. What I mean is you don't go to like your online brew shop and buy them. So that is experiments on top of yeast we were experimenting with, which were readily available. So yeah. our yeast experiments went into the hundreds by the end of it easily. We did hybrid, wow. we did, you know. And so what we managed, I think, as a team is pretty impressive. And I say we, I, I was definitely the, uh, <laughs> the handicap of the team. What the team managed, despite my best efforts, um, was incredible. Honestly, all three of them crushed it in terms of experimentations. And that was how we were managed to get here so quickly. But we also made some pretty bold calls. Um, you know, we brewed, we booked, we booked Lager Day Saints 
with no samples being sent to anyone in the team. We took one of the team's word and they're like, it's ready, but I can't, I can't remember why we couldn't get samples out. So we, but we had to make a call. Do we book it, get the slot, get it ready for launch, or do we not book it and risk missing launch? Which when you're trying to be a low and no brewer, if you launch with kind of one non-alcoholic and one low and one high, it fits our inclusivity value, which is great. And I can tell the story of why it exists like that, but it doesn't give you the focus, which we're trying to give. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, there's, there's also been times we've gambled and mm. gambled quite massively. Um, thankfully, we got kind of semi-lucky with them, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's all trial and error. To be honest with yeah. So when you, when you talk about samples, uh, do you give those to your contract brewers to say, you know, so they can actually taste it as well before they're brewing it. So, and then I, I presume they're probably giving you a bit of feedback as well of, oh, maybe you think about doing this and it becomes a true collab- collaborative effort then. Yeah. So what we do is we try and send out the recipe and if we can, we send them samples as well. We haven't always managed to, but we've tried to. Mm. Um, and we try to give them our feedback with the sample of, hey, look, this is what we're aiming for, but it's missing ABC. Um, big problem we have canning at home, which was entirely down to me, is either I seem to be leaving too much star sand in the can or I'm oxidizing them a bit too much. So this is something I'm still working on. I'm sure people listening now are probably laughing because they have no issues canning. Um, but um, yeah, that's something. So we've sent cans off and we're kind of, you know, the two oxidize or people have this chemical undertaste. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's even then you, you get close, but it's not perfect because I've got, I've got a, a tap set up I built in my house for sampling and, you know, what I get people coming around to, to test um, is like, oh, this is great. And then you open the can and you're like, it's not quite the same. <laughs> so it, it's quite hard. But I think, honestly, if you give a recipe and you give a description, there are some brilliant brewers out there who could actually translate that into knowing what that should be. Yeah. But yeah, if you can send a sample, I think that goes a long way. And unless you're trying to do what we did, which was a lot of samples to a lot of people in a short space of time, if you're pretty confident with what it is, I'd actually recommend bottles. They're far easier to fill without the uh, chemical and uh, oxidization problems. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's. I'm hoping over the next um, year or so, <laughs> fingers crossed, you know, the, the canning solutions for very small brewers, of which I include myself, um, you know, gets better i mean i've seen it get better even over the last year but it, it, it like you say it's those bottle conditioned beers when you do it that way just i just seem so much better um that you know just because it's scavenging some of that oxygen and all the rest of it um yeah and you know I, it's the the canning technology on a, on a very small scale is i think still being worked out yeah absolutely i think um i mean there's huge scope there it's one of those funny ones where, I mean, I'm still pretty adamant that, I'm not sure my TNS are agrees, but I'm pretty adamant that the, the ideal solution for an alcoholic beer is brewing with the yeast we have, recipes we have, with a bit of a higher amount of grist, or larger amount of grist, higher amount of grist, good English definitely, a uh, large amount of grist, and um, then stripping it out. So for us, we would brew to like very low ABV and then strip it back to zero. Um, and there's a couple of brewers on the market doing that. But you've got to be brewing at scale to get that done because the kit is expensive, yeah. really, really expensive, and it's really big. Um, so, you know, I think it's there. So it's things like that for me. Like, I did actually look and try and build my own, but it got very complex very quick. But, um, you know, if you do that on a smaller scale, and then 
you know, the canning as well, you know, you do it. I've got, I'm quite lucky, I treat myself to a sort of semi-automated machine, but you still got to carry it with the lid on, put it in, jack it up, press go. And at that point, obviously, it's done, but you don't really know what you've put in there. <laughs> you sort of like, please don't be oxidized. Please be good. Tell me about it. <laughs> tell, yeah, tell me about it. Um, and then just talk me through the other end of the process. So, you know, you, you've got this beer that's been packaged by uh, a large-scale commercial brewery, but, you know, if you don't have the infrastructure of, like, cold store, you know, your own brewery to store it all in, and or even delivery vans to deliver it all, like, how, how are you managing all that? So I went out and got a, a storage and distribution partner. Um, so I paid someone to store our beers. Um, so when you order a beer from us online, that order goes through our systems and their systems. They pick and pack the box, and then they post it to you with our uh, courier service we selected. Um, um, I had great plans when I first started of hiring a storage unit, and I was like, I'm just going to box it myself. It's be great. And then I think we did a couple of runs one weekend of like a lot of beer samples from canning to sort of getting in. Obviously, if we contract with the canning, it wouldn't be a thing. But even just the boxing and setting up took quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that kind of thing between we want to give our customers an experience. So anyone who's listening who's been a customer and we've missed this, apologies, we're working on it. But we we have a delivery service where if you order before two, it should get the next day, including Saturdays. Um, order by TV on the Friday or come on the Saturday is what we have as our service. Um, you know, and, and I'm quite excited by that because it gives you that, oh, we're having a bar, what's our barbecue tomorrow? Oh, I've got loads of people coming, oh, we need beers, we want like, mm. and like the aim is once we've got kind of our shop a bit bigger, well, hopefully now, if you're listening, do it now. But if you can come online and pick, you know, a big range of different ABV beers, different flavor beers, and buy a big box for your barbecue and everyone's happy, right? Um, and if you order it on the Friday, you know, late afternoon, it will come the next day. Great. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's how we do it. Um, I think there are people much harder than me who do it other ways, but that, that for me seemed like the best solution um, was to get someone who's an expert in storage and distribution to do our storage and distribution. Yep. And do, do, I mean, does that work for trade as well? Are you shipping cakes out using the same company or is, is it all just like small packed direct to consumer at the moment? Yeah, so because it's our first group that's launched, all our kegs are in storage. Um, the aim, obviously, is that we can try and secure some um, business customers, uh, whether that be you know pubs, restaurants, or whoever, who can give us, I guess, predetermined stock. Hey, so in October, we want X. And we're like, cool, we'll give you X. And then we can basically send them their orders straight from the brewery. That yeah. would be the aim. Because um, kegs are nothing shy of a nightmare to ship, really. Um, so we have ours kegged and canned. Um, we've yet to have anyone buy any of our kegs in case anyone's keen. We sold one. That's not quite true. We did sell one keg. But um, <laughs> we have it all uh, kegged and canned. Um, and that's all the kegs are in storage at the moment, basically. So we're just working quite hard at the moment to see if we can find any um, pubs or anything who'd be interested in in you know giving us a shot and putting us on tap. Um, you know, But yeah, they're all in, in the storage center as well. Nice. So changing tack slightly, um, you appeared on 10X London Business School to talk about depression oh, did, and mental yeah. health issues. I, yeah, I was, when I went on your media kit, I was like, oh, wow. Um, I used to like watch loads of 10X. Well, I, I don't watch it so much these days, but, um, but I mean, so if, if you wanted to talk about it, um, I'd, I'd just be really interested to find out like how, how um, you know, has depression and mental health affected you when it comes to running 
a business and being an entrepreneur because I struggle with depression myself on antidepressants. And I've, there are some days where I'm just like, you know, like I can feel like the ideas are out there and I know, I know somewhere within me is the passion desire to, you know, fulfill my dreams and blah, 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 blah. But you get so sucked down into the Maya. You're just like, I really, there's no point to anything anymore. And that as an entrepreneur, that's crushing. <laughs> like, yeah, no, um, uh, no, absolutely. No, I'm more happy to talk about answer any question you've got, to be honest. Um, yeah, so I have depression too. I am medicated. I think I'll be medicated for life. Um, I take deloxetine, and I think I take 60 milligrams, which I'm not a medical expert, but I think it's quite a high dose. Yeah. Uh, I thought about lowering it, and then COVID hit. <laughs> I said, absolutely not. So I'm still on that quite high dose. Um, and honestly, that that's a huge support for me. Um, I'd like to lower it as life goes on. Um, you know, all these things, the other side effects, you know, I, I describe it like a sine wave. I feel like it cuts the bottom of my 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 dips so when my emotions rock bottom my rock bottom is no longer as low as it used to be and that's great the flip side though is it also cuts off the peaks so i don't think i'm ever truly as happy or as excited as i used to be either mm. um now being a scotsman with yorkshire parents i don't know if i ever smile that much anyway but uh, <laughs> pretty sure i smile a bit less than i used to um but yeah no uh it is hard i think I mean, I'll talk through this. I mean, we started in August and when my co-founders dropped out, I was like shit-housed. Um, You know, I put a lot in the trying to build the brand. I'd used a lot of um, opportunities I had to get it where I'd got my bit to by the end of August. Um, and ultimately, we didn't have much else done. Um, and that's not hard feelings. You know, COVID happened. People have got life. Like, this is how it goes, right? Especially mm. in the early start. So... There's zero ill will or any hope. I hope to meet them for pints when they're back in London, you know. But um, this is um, a reality. So when they dropped out, which is you know, no hard feelings, it's it's hard. I was like, so I'm going to swear there. Uh, swear words, you know. You're like, this is what you do get, all that work. Get it on my show. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, try not to. I swear far too much. Um, but yeah, you end up kind of that place. And I, I mean, I went absolutely bloody plastered. I drank everything under the sun for about. <laughs> 12 hours I was like screw it <laughs> and that was it um, and then you know I think one of the aspects you find of folk with uh, maybe sort of permanent mental health issues as mine is you tend to have quite quick rebounds sometimes um, now that rebound can be very temporary so I don't mean it as in like I'm a yo-yo like super happy one day super sad the next what I mean is I can have this crash and then from sort of almost nowhere I'll get this load of motivation and that was kind of how I managed to pivot to be honest with you um, mm. And I ran on that steam for a while, but I'll tell you, December was rough. I, I'm a pretty avid gym goer. Um, not that I'm in any particularly special shape. I just find it good for my mental state and health and stuff. Um, find it good for unwinding, honestly. And I think it's a, it's a habit I've managed to stick with, which is probably good because I didn't eat and drink far too much. Um, but uh, you're singing you know, from I the just, same hymn shoot as me, mate. I'm, I'm totally yeah. related to everything you say. So, um, and yeah, in December here, and honestly, I think I think I took like a week off the gym, but I was just like, no, I just sat there. I was eating, drinking, and I did absolutely bugger all. I ate nothing. I mean, wasn't working on the brewery, wasn't being productive, watching TV. Um, I, think I managed to get dressed and have a shower, so I wasn't quite sitting in my pants, but it wasn't. Um, it wasn't vastly bad, you know. And honestly, I had to get a real shake out of that in January. Um, 
And honestly, I think probably the main way I managed to get myself back up and running in January is fear. At that point, I'd committed everything I had into the brewery. So you end up being like, well, I'm in now. <laughs> and honestly, there are moments now, even now, we've done Brew London, we had great feedback, but you know, we're, we're only three weeks in, which I should remind myself, but I committed everything I had into this. I've leveraged a bit of debt to get us moving, you know, and I'm trying to build a company for folks to come join and work at. And I'm sitting there being like, what if I fail? Or what if it doesn't work? Or what if I can't get any trade customers? And it's doubts that nag at you. And then that's fine. I mean, that's just business, right? That's cool. You're fine with that. But then, of course, come up the insecurity doubts of maybe the reason you can't get trade accounts is you. <laughs> mm. Maybe, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to say it because it will be public knowledge soon. But unfortunately, our head brewer has decided to move on. Um, so Adam, so I'll put it on the record now. He's fantastic. If you're looking for a brewer, hire him. He's great. Unfortunately, the uh, the start of life, I don't think it's for him. Um, but, you know, even things like that, it, it's hard to understand and communicate, right? And these little things come your way. And it's hard to separate what I truly believe has been a business decision and a personal decision on his behalf, where he's like, look, I've loved it. But, um, and I can't speak for him, but my understanding is he's loved it, but he's like, I'm just not ready for a start. Like, I want to go to a brewer where I can have, like, you know, this is my job. It's what I do when I go home and I don't speak to you tomorrow which I empathize with because I'm a bit of a nightmare at communicating. I just tend to fire off ideas when they come to me. Um, but the flip side of that, of course, though, is as founder, as kind of leader, I suppose, you, you, it's hard not to look back at yourself on that, though, and be like, what could I have done different? How could I have done different? Mm. And the reality might be there isn't an answer for that. And actually, this can be one of these things that I hope, you know, Adam and me meet for a pint one day in both our pubs, you know, and we'd laugh over this. I'm like, yeah, it was definitely the best idea. You've got a brewery. I have a brewery. This is great. But, you know, dealing with it is hard. Um, but I guess you're talking about, like, how do you get the motivation? Um, that's a tricky one. I think it's it's slow building. So I slow built from, I can't remember when the modules run, um, maybe May 2019 to June 2019, or maybe April, maybe it's April, sorry. April to June 2019, I think, might be more realistic of this module doing the business case. Yeah. But then it was a full year later and a bit <laughs> that, you know, the ignition really got fired underneath me with the kind of, nah, I'm doing this. Um, and, you know, I think there's never a right time to launch. You know, mm. like I said about the hindsight, the hindsight for me, I probably should have started a lot of what I did way earlier. <laughs> um, but yeah. And the other thing actually, a bit of a reverse of that is once you start, I'm definitely using work as a way of plastering over things that are affecting me. I've still got a day job. I now do this on the side. I have people who support me in the company. I mean, in terms of like working, I guess, kind of for me in a way with me is really how I try and run it. But technically, yep. you know, I'm the be all. If I mess up, we all yep. mess up kind of thing. It's all on me. And then, you know, I, mean, I actually quite enjoy that. It's not, that's not really a negative. The negative is I definitely don't sit and reflect as much as I used to. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that's, that's a consideration, I think, for anyone who deals with this stuff is to make sure you do take time for yourself because there's certainly moments I catch myself and realize I'm not reflecting like I used to and how I'm doing. Or I'm not taking a minute to be like, you know, actually, I might need to take a minute. Um, and a minute could be a minute. It could be half an hour. And, uh, you know, sometimes you need a day, and that's okay. Um, I think places are becoming more understanding of this, but obviously that doesn't help you if it's a startup and it's your business. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's, I would say for 
I'm sort of coaching myself here of things I should probably start doing tomorrow. But <laughs> uh, I don't know if you do struggle with things, whether it be anxiety, depression, or any kind of mental health thing where you can struggle for motivation and belief is try and create the habits you want to keep going with before you start, because then I think you'll keep them going. So for me, like exercise, apart from when I had one crash over Christmas has been a pretty much non-negotiable for, I can't remember however long in my life. That doesn't mean I'm I'm not a special athlete. I'm a bit fat. I drink and eat far too much, but you know, I'm definitely the strongest person in the gym, but having that routine rigidly in my life helps me mentally massively. Um, You know, and it could be yoga, it could be writing, it could be reading, whatever that habit is. I think starting two or three habits before you start the business will mean that you should hopefully be able to continue those on. Um, And even habits where it's like how you start your day, um, which again, I'm probably coaching myself here because I'm not very good at But yeah, I think having something which you like, I get up and I do A, B, and C, and then I start work. So you've already done your mental check-in. You've already done your half hour of reading for yourself or your walk to get a coffee where you just, you know, self-meditate on the way or whatever it might be, I think can really help. And there's so many tools out there. But um, honestly, I think the biggest bit of advice, and it's, it's what I say in my TED talk, and it's kind of where I come to with the community bit of the... Um, the brewery um, is communicate. It's it's talk, it's share. Because if you can keep sharing, what I always find is I'm always shocked how many people reach out with help or with an ear. It can't help, but like, I'll go for a coffee, go for a pint, go for a walk. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing, actually. And I think I've underestimated a lot of people who have that. So we have actually the um, sort of semi-off topic. Sorry, I'll bring it back in a sec. But the um, the Whiskey Bar that Lager can version is coming out in September. We've, we've commissioned an artwork for it. And it's all about mental health and depression under the value of community. So we have three we've commissioned as special art pieces. And, and the hope is that people drinking it will start talking. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, it's like a hope. I'm not saying it will happen, but it might. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, I guess that brings me on to the next question, actually. I mean, how do you feel that um, Sheep in Wolves clothing um, can bridge the gap and bring people together through the world of beer when it comes to beer and mental health and stuff? What, I mean, are there any kind of practical ways? Uh, just share your vision as far as that's Yeah, concerned. so I have a very, very practical vision, if I'm honest. I'm a bit of a boring person. I'm not very, uh, I guess, exciting in the magic. But, like, I think... There's some great breweries out there. And so this isn't me shitting on anyone else. I think there's some people that are doing great stuff for mental health, awareness, and for communicating and inclusion. There's obviously some that maybe aren't. Um, now, that's not to say they're doing anything. Some are just neutral. It's not one their thing. They do other stuff. They support local sports teams or whatever. And that's amazing. And then there's obviously some horror stories coming out the other end. But I won't go into that because I can't speak on it. But um, I think what I'd like to do is I want to open my own brew pubs really um we want to try and open a proper brewery by the next year um and we want that to be the world's most accessible brewery and we mean that in terms of physical and mental um abilities or disabilities so anyone who's offended my pc abilities very bad i don't mean that with all intent i'm just not very good at using the right terms um for reference though my dad is in a wheelchair so i have i have some experience on one side um but i mean that quite literal so if you are a super tall person, a super short person, wheelchair bound, if you're on the spectrum, you know, we want you to come work for us. We want to practically hire and want to create an environment where you can work for us in the brewing industry, brewing, working in the tap room and everything else. Now, 
that's long-term dream and that would be the proper brewery. Um, and I'm not unaware of how much that's going to cost, mainly because I've looked into modifying things. You modify a house for wheelchair, it gets quite expensive quite quickly. Um, but before that, um, we're having a current change of tact right now and we are hoping to open our first brew pub. Um, hopefully this year, but that could be a big push. I mean, it's a stretch goal, to be honest, but that'd be the dream. Um, so we have a four-barrel brew kit we bought, um, which is a standard brew kit. We will want to try and find a premises we can put that, where we can put one of our small, super small kits, where we do like our you know first version experimentation. Mm. We'd like to have a tap room and a bottle shop, and I want to make that as accessible and inclusive as possible. So I have ideas for having the bar at two heights, but with one order and one collection point at each side, having queuing spots, having you know social distancing things put in so you can't invade people's personal space, read that as you want to. And that's not COVID related. Um, I want to have areas marked on the floor, which are wheelchair width and wheelchair turning circles. So you can get to the seating area, you can get to the, bas- the bathrooms. Um, I want to have unisex adult accessible toilets. So it doesn't matter which one you go into. There's no issue on how you identify on whether you're in a wheelchair or not. You can use the same toilet as everybody else. I mean, we'll have a urinal area because, you know, boys are gross um, and we need the <laughs> urinal area. But other if than you that, sprinkle when you tinkle, please be neat. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's what I want to do. And then we want to call this our first of what we're going to call the local. So um, what's your postcode where you are? Just the first little bit, the first letter and numbers. S6. S6. So if we built one in your area, it'd be called local S6. Right. Um, and everyone we open, hopefully we'll build a few. Um, you can tell I've got an MBA because I'm an ambitious pleb. Um, but... <laughs> It'd be called the local S6. And the idea would be it would follow the same model of pure accessibility and inclusivity for customers and for workers. But each one wouldn't be a flat pack. So if we built an S6, I can't remember which S6. Is S6? No, S10 was the gym. I don't know what S6 is. But it's just below S10, yeah. Um, Couldn't quite afford S10, so we had to go further down the hill. <laughs> yeah, I completely understand that one. But let's say we open up one around S10, right? So S10 is kind of some pretty nice houses, but it's also a lot of students. Yep. So we try and build a establishment that mirrored that community. Um, but if we built one that was in sort of, sort of like one of the neighbors I'm near in London at the moment, um, we'd look to try and do like teacher support nights. So if you're a teacher or anyone who can tutor, you come in and you do adult tutoring to adults who want to try and maybe help their kids with their homework or want to just get better themselves. And we'll give you free beef tutoring, you know, um, I think there's those things you could do just doing that. And that's all on that community angle. And um, yeah, I really do mean it. Um, I want to build a brewery where if you're in a wheelchair and you want to brew beer, you can brew beer. No ifs, but maybes. Um, I know a lot of people give me a look when I do that. And I'm like, well, I've worked on an oil rig. My dad's in a wheelchair, so go fuck yourself. Um, if you do- um, I think people could do it now if they wanted to. They just don't want to. And I don't think that's in a sinister way. I think it's in a they have shareholders they have to answer to. And that's kind of why I'm putting this out there now, because the worst thing I think we could do is be like, well, what we'll do is we'll build. And once we build, we can like come back and do all this amazing stuff. Because as soon as you've got people you've got to answer to to make money and give them revenue, they don't want you to spend loads of money on something that doesn't improve your revenue. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. It's really hard. Right? I'm not, it's not necessarily me having to go at anyone. I think that's just a fact of life. There's loads of places. You know, I mean, we've been to places with wonderful staff, incredible people. My dad's had to get in down the bins through the kitchen, up the left and down the right. And you're like, well, that's just degrading. 
But that's not a reflection of the business. The people, they're doing what they think, you know, is the best they can do, right? But I'd like to go one further with everywhere from the start. Um, you know, so if hopefully the first premises we find uh, will, will be all ground floor, because that would help. But if not, we'll make a way around it. You know, there's ways of doing it and we'll get it done. Um, and yeah, so that's the hope is we can get that moving late this year. Um, primarily looking at Edinburgh, I think, is where I'd like to be. I did a bit more homework. I think my, my team's going to go mental with me saying this all out loud. Committed now. <laughs> but um, we do our homework on it. But yeah, um, we're hoping to open up somewhere, hopefully late this year or very early next year, which can contain like a four-barrel brew kit, which is accessible as much as possible. I mean, we can't afford at the moment to modify it completely, but hopefully we can try and at least make it semi-accessible. Um, you know, we've got the little mini brew kit and then, you know, a fully accessible tap room, bottle shop and you know, social area. That's the, that's the current aim. Um, and that's where that inclusivity comes from. And then once you've got that, we work on our midterm goal. So short term is inclusivity. That's non-negotiable from day zero. Hence the ABV range, the community comes midterm. So if we can build the locals, we can try and build communities around them that are invested in engaging it because we're invested in engaging with them. Um, and hopefully that can come um, and we can get discussions going and try and do things around there. And hopefully a bit more recognition into the brand and our premises, we can get those discussions really moving. Um, I also have something I'd like to do, which is I'd like to try and do a sort of show, maybe eventually once a month or whatever, um, like a YouTube thing, but I want to discuss stuff properly. Uh, the idea is getting people in, we sit around the table with beers and we get people to talk about depression. The first one I'm trying to do is depression just because I know about that. <laughs> yeah. And this is having me and a random friend of mine plus maybe three special guests if we can do it who are kind of maybe a bit more known to come in and have proper conversations. And we do depression. We can do another important topic over beer. Because that's what I think beers are for. It's not just for awesome times and morning times. It's also for, that's morning with you, by the way, um, for having proper discussion times. Um, and then, yeah, and the last objective is to be sustainable. I'm a massive skier. I love the hills and the mountains and the world, but uh, that's really hard on day zero. So that's like our... Our final aim. We're making the sustainable choices we can. I bought the world's most expensive tote bags uh, for Brew London. <laughs> but um, we're trying to make the right decision when we can, but we are pretty limited as a start. So that's sort of our long-term goal. Um, so yeah, that, that that's kind of a tangent into that as well. Well, that, that, that's amazing. I think it pretty much rounds up pretty nicely. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens. Uh, it sounds like a, a, an amazing vision. So, um, I mean, yeah, thanks for being on the show. Um, how, how can people get hold of the beers and, and find out more for themselves about Sheep and Wolf's clothing? Yeah, um, thanks for having me. It's been amazing. Uh, really enjoyed being on it. Um, yeah, at the moment, the best thing to do is go to the website and give our Instagram a follow. Um, it's just at SRWC Brewery uh, or SRWCBrewery.com. Um, that's the easiest way to buy our beers and the easiest way to find out what we're up to. Um, we're working on social media, but it's hard and it's expensive, so we chose one and we're starting with Instagram. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're there. Give us a follow. We try and get that updated regularly. We have a wonderful person called Daisy T. There's two daisies in my company, um, and she does a cracking job on that. So we have regular updates coming in through there. Um, and then uh, the website is, it's a work in progress. Please forgive us. We know it's not perfect, but we are getting there. Um, but it, it does work for buying. So if you'd like to try them, get on there. Um, I'm not sure when this will come out, but I know that by the end of this week, which would be Friday the 13th, there's a lucky day for everyone, um, we'll have uh, three more beers on there. So we should have a fair, fair range available across the ABVs and flavor spectrums. 
Amazing, brilliant. Thank you. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.